I'm just going to pull this up right there. All right. So tell me, you were telling me a story real quick. So we're just going to jump straight into the conversation. Yeah, it's all good. All right. It's all good. So you were telling me a story about the some photos. Yeah, so um, I was uh, sitting back and I was talking to Dwayne the other day. And I said, man, I got the coldest photos that have ever been taken of me. Showed it to him. And I said, yeah, man, these are the ones that I want to, you know, put in my book. And he said, man, look at this one, you know, um, look at the one with the tattoos showing. And, and, you know, and then I start showing them the ones that you had of me where I was actually cooking. And, you know, people's faces in the background were kind of blurred. But it's like one guy that was like, yeah, you know, I remember exactly. What you and I was like, whoa, man, this guy, you know, and I told him, I said, um, I said, I hit him up. I said, I was over to Bob's house and Bob um, Metellus is a great friend of mine uh, for Photographer as well. Okay. Actually, he's, he's Dwayne's photographer. Okay. Very good friend of mine. And uh, Bob and I were going through photos and stuff. And I said, man, I want to, I, I got to get these photos. You know, I said, but, um, you know, I said, it's been years. And I, I want to contact him and ask him if it's okay. You know, I said, and I did already. I said, but the brother never hit me back. <laughs> that's, right? me, that's me. It's my fault. Right. Yeah. I said, he never hit me back. Yeah. So I said, um, I said, man, let me look. I'm, I'm a, Man, I'm going to hit him again. So I get on the phone, and I said, B. <laughs> I said, man, I'm asking his brother, can I use his pictures in my book? And he hit me a year ago <laughs> to be on this podcast, yeah. and I never hit him back. I said, I got to do something right now. So he's like, what you going to do, call him? Because we were in L.A. Yeah. You know? I said, no, I'm going to make a video. And I'm going to send it to him. And that's when I made the video, you know, and expressing to you that, you know, listen, <laughs> I could care less about the pictures at this point. You know, my my word and me as my, my just my character as a man is on the line here. Listen, you hit me a year ago. I never hit you back. <laughs> listen, man, that, that was some straight foolish. That was garbage of me not to do that. And. You know, listen, I'll be I'll be more than happy to do the podcast. Let's not even discuss the pictures and blah, blah, blah. And then you hit me back and boom, 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 here we are. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's amazing how God works, man. Um, I've always looked at those photos and whenever I show them to people, and I, and I definitely remember something you said to me um, once. I took a photo of yours, uh, of those sets. Oh, I remember. And I posted it. But I, I, I got in a hold of this app where you can uh, kind of, you know, enhance or or whatever you think is enhancing of a picture, you know? Yeah. So me being the artist that I am, I said, man, I want to, you know, brighten this up and I want to do this and the other. Man, and you, man, you slapped my hand on it. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, uh, you know, you changed my picture. And, you know, that's kind of like, you know, you cooking a lobster and I'm coming in and I'm changing what you're doing. And right then and there, and I got it, man. Yeah. And I said, man, you know what, man, I'm so sorry. Man, I, you know when you get embarrassed and you get warm all the yeah, way yeah, inside, you know? Bro, I was burning up. No way. I, you know? I didn't mean it like that no, at no, all. No, yeah. but it, it needed to be said because uh, I've posted other pictures of yours as well. Never touched them again. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. mine, I touch all day long. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but never touch it again. Bob has done pictures of me as well. Never touch them because I respect the craft. I respect you as an artist because I am one as well. 
You know what I mean? Absolutely. And um, so, yeah, I, that was just a big full pop. But I, I've always remembered that ever since then. That's funny. And those are things that you just say randomly and you don't really. Hey, man, that, you're that, always teaching. That's interesting. You know, And that's why you have to watch what you say. Because you're always teaching. Your words are always influential to somebody, you know, either in a positive way or a negative way. But you always have to watch what you're talking about and what you say. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth closed. You're right. You're 100% <laughs> right. You know, it's funny that you're sitting here and as you're talking, oftentimes when, and this probably happens to a lot of photographers, mm -hmm. is that we take a picture and people ask you, hey, what kind of camera do you have? Mm -hmm. What kind of camera is that? Mm -hmm. That camera takes really good pictures. And then, uh, yeah. I know it burns you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so then my, my rebuttal is always, um, when I go to your house and you cook a good meal, do I ask you what kind of oven you have? Mm -hmm. No, it's irrelevant. It's the chef, mm -hmm. right? It's always about the chef. It's not about the tools that he uses. And it's the same for a photographer. But I just, I, I remember that right now because you're a chef, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but thank you, man, because uh, photography is something that's always, well, I picked up a camera in 2012. Yeah. And it's always been a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, but I know, I know I have something there. And I know I have, now you see some photos in here. I just haven't done anything with it yet. Well, you got to do something with it. <laughs> it's a blessing, man. I'm telling you. It's a blessing. You got to do something with it. In my, in my life, I've uh, never been great with scholastics uh, in school. I've always ex excelled in the arts. When I was in the band, uh, I was I push this forward a little bit. when I was in the band. I was, you know, I excelled in that. Went on to Florida A and M University, the uh, the fabulous, uh, amazing March of One Hundred. Shout out to FAMU. But um, and then when I left college, I went into uh, cosmetology and um, knew nothing about doing hair. But once I got in there, I was one of the best when I was doing it. Now I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now, and in my specific lane, I am one of the best. And um, each time I got that itch, each time I got that little thing of uneasiness about what I was doing, um, I, just, I just moved forward. I moved forward in the path, and I knew it was going to be okay because I was doing something that was wholesome. I was doing something that was good. I was doing something that was for me, something that I love to do in each one of those situations where I've had to move. Mm. And every time I've done it, the path was not even paved for me. I just kept going. Mm. I just kept moving. And I think that you, by you not doing what you need to be doing as far as your photography, you're cheating the world and you're cheating yourself mm. because you only got to put forth a little bit of effort, brother, because mm -hmm. you already got it. You got stuff that people go to school for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You got it. You're born with it. You know, your uncle taught you that. My you uncle, know? my mom, my grandfather, there that, you go. that whole side of my family. It's in you. Yeah. What are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? So you got to move forward with it, man. So after this conversation, I expect to see more from you on that front. Um, your uh, Instagram page used to be filled with it. It was. You're, <laughs> that's so Come funny. Now. used to be filled with it. That's the reason why I followed you, mm -hmm. because I wanted to see it. If you, if you were to go down my Instagram now, you would see nothing but art all the way up and down. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I love it. I love the expression. 
that's the reason why I'm into food. That's why I was so into hair and all of that because I was able to create. Yeah. You know, that's a power. You're capturing people. I'm looking right now at this picture on the wall. You captured that man. You captured all of the pain that he's felt in his life. You captured everything, you know, and that's that's very difficult to do, man. You you are a true artist and you're blessed with the talent and you got to do something with it. Thanks, okay. thanks, I'm off, I'm off my path. No, no, no. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think I needed to hear that. I, I, I know that I know what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And the reason that my Instagram kind of shifted was because I started this this practice. Yeah. And uh, I went into Gary V mode and uh, decided that I needed to just take the audience that I had already, yeah. and start showing, uh, that what I was doing from a business perspective, um, what I was offering through a mental health practice. But I did abandon it because when I started looking back, I was, I started getting, so actually during the Cuba protests, the protests that were happening in Cuba in yes. July of 2020, I believe, um, or 2021, I don't even remember anymore. I went viral again in Miami because these photos started getting spread a lot and the story of, of the photos were getting spread. Mm -hmm. And in turn, it led to more more business, mm -hmm. right? More patients or more people with their eyes on me. And then I would go out and talk about what I was trying to do. So I kind of used it as a tool. Um, but I think you're a hundred percent right that I need to just go back to just to the craft, the and craft itself. And, and it's definitely something that I personally feel that, uh, that you can use in your practice mm -hmm. because we, we all suffer, suffer from some form of, uh, mental, um, stress, we all do in some way, shape, form, or fashion. This is definitely your therapy, I think, mm -hmm. you know, um, and to be able to show what's inside of you to someone that's suffering and uh, explaining to them that you too suffer, but this is what you've done, and let them know you have something in you as well. Of course. Tap into that. Tap into that beauty that's inside of you. And, and use that, you know, along with our discussions, along with whatever else that I've done for you or that we do together here in these sessions. But your homework is for you to do that for yourself. And people don't look at themselves that way. We often look at ourselves very negative, negatively because of our circumstances, because of things that we've been told. Um, but once we are someone, you know, you get with somebody and they unlock that little thing that's inside of you. And most often it's not our parents. It's somebody else. It's somebody that we met, you mm -hmm. know, or it's a, it's an outside relative. It's your uncle, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Your, uh, you know, and things like that. I had a, a gentleman, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking on. No, you're on. good, man. That's, that's what, that's what this is for. Um, I had a gentleman. Uh, just passed away not long ago. His name was E. Daryl Jones. And Mr. Daryl was my parents' very, very good friend, a jeweler. And I wish that I had worn uh, his pinky ring today. Hmm. Um, but he wore this pinky ring. And I told him when I was about nine years old, I said, Mr. Daryl, I said, when I get a little money, I said, I, I, I'm going to get a ring like that. And he was like, all right. You know, he's a real cool guy from Detroit, you know. Uh, the Motor City is what he used to call it, you know. And uh, my mother used to tell me all the time, Richard, you know, if you if you do your chores on Friday, then you have your weekend free. But it was my mama talking. 
And I was like, man, I don't want to hear that foolishness. Mm -hmm. Listen, my dad had talked to Mr. Darrell and said, man, that boy, he's just not listening or whatever. Mr. Darrell said, hey, man, come here, man. Let me talk to you, man. Real cool guy. And I was like, yeah, Mr. Darrell, you know, he said, uh, he said, listen, what do you got to do on Saturday? And I said, uh, well, I'm going to cut the yard, you know, and, you know, I'm going to clean the bathrooms. And he said, he said, hey, man, he said, uh, on Fridays, you don't normally have no homework, do you? I said, no, sir. He said, okay, why don't you go ahead on, man, to cut the yard on on Friday, you know, get your bathrooms done on Friday. Man, you got the whole weekend to yourself. And I was like, wow. Man, it was like like an epiphany. Mm -hmm. But my parents had been telling me this the whole time, <laughs> you know. But it was Mr. Darrell who was cold-blooded, you know. And listen. Ever since then, I've always started doing things ahead of time because of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that one little word from you that they may have gotten from anybody else may be that word to unlock that little bit of potential, that little bit of light in those patients of yours. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and start them on a path that they had never thought about ever in a million years, you know? Um, and again, brother, you, you, you have... Um, you have your talent of the photography. Um, you have the warmth uh, to be able to do the therapy that you do. So you have the keys. You know, we just have to put them in place sometimes. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, I've always, I've always tried to use my word to encourage, to lift up, to build people up, because I I feel that too often. You're right. Like we we do damage people on our words, and and people. Take their words lightly, but the the impact and the weight that those words carry can change life. Right. Like what you're telling me right now, you're plant you're replanting that seed that I had already told myself. Mm. But now you're telling me that you're sitting with Dwayne Wade, right? And you're showing him these photos and telling him, wow, look at these pictures. So like all of us are just one step away from somebody else being exposed to to your work. But if you don't put yourself out there, then your work never gets exposed. Because I took those pictures of you. I mean, I was just there. Shout out to my friend Angie Ramirez. She was the one who lived at Hoya. And I was just hanging out with her. Mm -hmm. And she said, hey, there's a chef coming. <laughs> and I said, oh, cool. Yeah. I, and I, in my mind, I've, I always thought about going into the kitchen with my camera. Because mm -hmm. I just think there's a lot of dynamics in there that are pretty cool. And when I got there, there's an audience. You're cooking. You're preaching while you cook. <laughs> right? And I was just, I was so inspired. And then I was like, wow, how cool. So then I took my time with those photos and then I sent them, like you asked me, you said, hey, when you're done, can you send them to me? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did. I took, my, like I, I poured love into those pictures because number one, it was the first time I had ever done it. Mm -hmm. And number two, I felt like it was an honor for me to be there and just to witness what you were doing. Man, that was your first time ever doing it. Yeah. I'd never taken pictures of anybody cooking. Really? Yeah. So I just said, I just, <laughs> yeah, I just, um. I saw the emotion of the people in the background. So yeah. I was like, oh, I got to, like, I didn't care. Look, the camera, let me tell you, I got goosebumps because I haven't done it. I guess I haven't been taking pictures in a while, right? Mm -hmm. So as I talk about this, the camera gives you the license to get into spaces that you can't as just part of the audience. Mm -hmm. So you were cooking. And at first I'm standing behind mm -hmm. and capturing pictures. And then I started shifting to the side. And after a while, I was like, I'm going to get behind them. Mm -hmm. 
let me catch, let me start revolving around the room. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, I'm just part of the event. Mm-hmm. Nobody's paying attention to me. I'm invisible. But I have access that nobody else has. Correct. I have angles and perspective that nobody else gets. Listen, man, you got one picture. I'm in there by myself. <laughs> I'm in there by myself. Nobody's even there yet. Oh, that was before, yeah. And, man, you caught a picture that I've already envisioned is going to be in the middle of the book. That's awesome. You know what I mean? It's going to be in the middle of the book. Bro, I'm telling you, this book is going to be cold. Blooded man, because awesome. of tell some it, of this artwork. That tell you us, got. what's the name of the book? I have no idea. You don't know the name of the book? No, yet? man. I just literally uh, finished the last recipe. The last recipe recipe is the last food picture that I posted on Instagram. Okay. I just made these uh, truffle garlic crabs, and I did a little video, and and um, and I took the picture, and I said, man, this is going to be the last recipe. So now that I have the last recipe done. I have all of the pictures in line, but now I'm working on the stories that are in the book, the sayings, you know, uh, the positive affirmations and things like that, talking a little bit about my career uh, a little bit more. So I'm, I'm actually writing that uh, as we speak. So uh, it should be out pretty soon, but I'm trying to come up with a with a name. I've asked some people online to uh, to help me out. So I've gotten some some decent names, but... I'm gonna figure it out. It's gonna come to me. You and th- know? This is your second book. The first book was book. Eating Well to Win. Eating Well to Win was the first one. Yeah. And so what? What did you learn from the first one, and how is this book different? Um, from the first one, I I just learned about the process. Um, I learned that I don't like to be. Uh, I don't like to have deadlines. <laughs> uh, because things don't come out with love mm. when you have a deadline, at least for me. Um, the book, I think, was a very good book to be my first one. Um, but the, and I could say it because it's my book, the love wasn't in it as much as I would like it to have been. I was going through quite a bit. My father passed during the uh, writing of the book. I was actually... He was very sick, and I flew down and was writing on the plane because I had a deadline and, you know, got to the hospital that night writing while he's sitting in the bed, you know, and it was just so stressful for me at that time. But now with this book here, it's nothing but love in it. Um, it's every every recipe that's in the book is a photo from the book, so it's it's something that people have seen and they've said, oh, my God, I wish that I had the recipe for that or I wish that I could taste that. All of those things are in there now. You know, if you're trying to be healthy, this might not be the book. For you. <laughs> you know, seriously, man, I got all kind of whipped cream and ice cream and and French toast and fried chicken and waffles and, you know, grits and lobsters. And, uh, man, I got it in there, you know, yeah. everything that people have, that people have been asking for. Uh, and it's really a book for the people um, because, unfortunately, with my career, uh, everyone is not uh, privy, you know, to my art. Um, they can only really see it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I do cook, people, you know, they come out, which I'm so grateful for. But um, I just don't have the capacity to cook for a whole lot of people sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this is the way that I can actually give it to you you know, and uh, show you step by step. It's not written 
uh, like your normal cookbooks um, in paragraph form. Everything is step by step, you know, and I did it purposely because I want everybody to be able to follow it, you know, and that's one thing that I've seen about some cookbooks. They are, yeah, I mean, I get it, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's for chefs, but my book is for everybody. Oh, you my know. daughter's going to love it. Yeah, My daughter's it. had a passion for the kitchen really? since she was, uh, as long as I can remember, she was probably five years old and making me breakfast. Oh, man. And so she, when I told her I was interviewing you, yeah. she's like, what? That's awesome. <laughs> she's like, how'd you do that? And then she's like, she would get her a book. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to get her a book. And yeah. she will follow it to a T. So it's cool because what you're saying is you want you want to make sure that whoever picks up this book gets an extension of you man that's all i want bro mm -hmm. that's all i want you know I, I want you to when you sit down and you eat this or you prepare this for somebody man i want you to know that this is this is some me in here mm -hmm. you know um you want to talk about you know how do you put these these items together now you can do this you know you can do this and if you do it a couple of times, then what happens? You start to uh, create and, and do something a little bit different with it. You know, where I may say put vanilla in this particular thing. Now you may put Kahlua in it or mm -hmm. you may put something else in there to give it another flavor. And that's how that's how you live on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's how your recipes live on. And, and uh, so, yeah, man, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I have uh, quite a few other little things that, uh, that we're going to do uh, in the book to make it a, a lot different as well. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it, man. I'm, I'm really putting my all into it. I'm taking my time and um, I'm curating these recipes and, and just making sure that I have it uh, so it could be the best that it could possibly be. That's crazy. That's amazing. Now, yeah. I'm looking forward because I know my daughter's going to put <laughs> put together some dishes. I'm going to take a photo for you. Yeah, man. And I'm going to definitely get that to you. Um so let me walk backwards a second. Okay. Uh, I know that you, so prior to, I, walk me through the story real quick. And I know what you've talked about it before, but I kind of want to hear it live. Tell me a little bit about your journey uh, as you began to cook mm -hmm. and then how you ended up, I guess, cooking for Dwayne Wade for the past 20 years. Um, well, I started cooking um, just watching my mother. Uh, my mom would come home. She was a school teacher. She would come home, and that's when uh, ladies wore slips back then. Mm -hmm. My mom would come home. She would never go in the room because she knew. She went back there. It was probably going to be over. She was going to be asleep, you know. So she would come in, take her skirt off, be standing in her slip, and start cooking. And normally I'm coming home. I'm, you know, um, doing homework or something, and I would, you know, smell this food. And it's not like I was in there watching her cook. But I was in there, you know, because um, I didn't want to be and in my Where'd room. you grow up? Uh, I was born in Liberty City. Okay. And um, and then we moved to Carroll City, which oh, is now, now Miami, Miami Gardens. Gardens. Yes, I got you. Carroll City. Yeah, Carroll City. My <laughs> dad went to Carroll City High, home okay. of the Chiefs. Shout okay. out to the Chiefs out yeah, there. And I went to New Orleans, Vikings. Okay. Yeah. But um, so anyways, I would watch her cook. Mm -hmm. And then um, my uncle cooked. My grandmother would come over. Uh, on Christmas and Thanksgiving, she lived in Liberty City. She, we would bring her out to the house, and she would spend the night, Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving, you know. And I was back when the turkeys were like almost 700 pounds. Mm -hmm. They were huge, you know, and the hams, big, huge hams. 
and she, I will get up at two, three o'clock in the morning um, and help her turn the ham around because these things had to cook all night because mm-hmm. you only had one oven and convection ovens were only in restaurants at that time, you know. So you had this one oven and you had to put the ham in there. You had to get that cooked first. Then you put the turkey in there. You couldn't cook both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. They couldn't fit. And you would have to turn that thing around, you know, so that it wouldn't burn. We have to put foil on one side, you know, mm-hmm. and to make sure that one side brown, but the other side didn't burn and huh. so forth and so on. Now you don't have to do that. But anyways, cook with her. And um, as I got older, I liked to bake cookies. So that was my way of uh, getting a girlfriend, you know. I asked them what kind of cookies they like, you know, and they tell me, and I said, well, you know, why don't you come over and we could bake some cookies, you know. <laughs> and, man, I would have all the stuff laid out, of you know, course. the flour. I'm baking from scratch, baby. This you're is slick, huh? Oh, come on, man. It's going to be a long process, yes, girl. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. You know, I'm baking from scratch, too, uh-huh. you know. Stuff their mamas wasn't even doing, uh-huh. you know. And, uh, man, we baking cookies in there, man, and chocolate chips, all kind of stuff in there. And, uh, you know, sometimes it worked. You know, I wound up getting a girlfriend or a good little friend out of it, mm-hmm. and sometimes it didn't, you know. But either way, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, I was perfecting, you know, perfecting my craft, you know. And, um, again, graduated, went to Florida A&M University, uh, went to cosmetology school where I became a hairstylist. I did that for about 10, eight years or so. Then I moved to Atlanta, which is where I got my culinary degree from, uh, the Art Institute of Atlanta. After graduating, um, I went on to work at uh, this place called the Bubble Room, um, which was a total adventure. And then... Uh, Wait, what's the Bubble Room? <laughs> listen, let me tell you something. The Bubble Room was owned by these guys, these South African guys, okay. right? Young dudes, man. Yeah. And uh, they had all kind of money, you know. And the Bubble Room was nothing but like their playground, you know. So, man, we, you know, it's nothing. You know, they had, uh, you know, caviar, um, the, the finest of steaks, um, champagne. That's back when Cristal was the big thing. Everybody was drinking that. Mm-hmm. So they had a wine cellar with nothing, you know, just filled with this stuff, man. No way that they were managing their money, you know. Um, things were just awful, you know, business-wise. But it was just a lavish place, and everybody would come in. It reminded you of the 60s Frank Sinatra singing type of thing, smoky room. They had a stage, you know, a nice little band, all the whole nine yards. Man, one night we left. I came back to work. Locks were on the doors. I had to call the police to get my knives out of there. They came in there and shut the place down, you know. All sorts of things was happening in that place, you know. Um, but then I started working at a couple of other restaurants there um, uh, in Atlanta. And then I actually stopped um, working in restaurants, and I got my first teaching job at Booger T. Washington High School uh, inside of the city of Atlanta, and where we took a home economics class, and we uh, got a grant, Dr. Shirley Kilgore, um, wonderful principal. Uh, we got a grant for $250,000 and we turned it into a uh, commercial kitchen, which is where we sold you know, breakfast and we sold snacks and we did the principal's luncheon. And, um, you know, Miss Joanne Simpson and Mr. Hooks, um, who were my mentors back then, um, they taught me so much about how to run a kitchen, how to work with children, 
uh, and things like that, you know, especially our inner city school children as well. Um, and then I, I, I left and I went, came back home to Miami and I taught at South Dade Adult Education Center where I taught the homeless and I taught uh, children um, with behavior disorders who were bust in from South Ridge and these other accompanying schools. Mm -hmm. And I taught there, and I wound up getting teacher of the year for Zone Three. Nice. Um, and you, you had man to be able to get the teacher of the year. You have to have a panel to come in, and they observe you. I had kids who were not supposed to hold knives in their hands. I had kids who uh, were not supposed to be around fire. And my class was almost like a, a dumping ground, you know, but I loved it, you know. And these <laughs> these kids would come in, man, and I would, you know, they had IEPs, mm -hmm. you know, up the yin-yang and um, just describing what's supposed to be wrong with yeah, it and stuff course. like mm -hmm. that, right? Man, these people came in to observe me. And I had gone to the fish market, and I got some fresh fish. I so got IEPs for anybody listening is individualized educational plans, just, yes. to, just to clarify. Man, I gotten some uh, conch. I had gotten fresh fish. Um, I got bananas and ice cream, and I, and I bought in my own, uh, my own cognac, right? We were making bananas, Fosters. Uh, I had given the kids the recipes the week before. We were doing conch fritters, and we was doing, like, fried fish or something like that. But, man, I had the kids scaling the fish when people came in, and I wasn't touching anything. Mm -hmm. You know, they scaling the fish, gutting the fish, seasoning the fish up. Same students who not supposed to have a knife. I put them in charge of the knives. <laughs> put them in charge of the knives. Nobody can get a knife until they come to you, mm -hmm. so they would have to go to that student to get the knives. Now, I wouldn't let him cut nothing, mm -hmm. but he was in charge of the knives. And I was even in the position of where I said, hey, so-and-so, may I have a knife? Yes, Mr. Ingram, and give me a knife. So everybody followed the rules. That was his thing. The person that's not supposed to be dealing with fire, I went over there with them doing Bananas Fosters. I got them doing the flambéing. They pouring the, the alcohol in and they flambéing. And I'm standing there right there watching them. And the thrill of it to, to see, yes, the beauty of what this is doing, this caramelization, and this is something that I am making, and this person trusts me. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. The rest of my students, when we went in there and we talked, and I talked to this panel, and I explained to them that my students were ESC students, they couldn't believe it because of how they were functioning. Because I never treated them as such. Never. You can do it. I know you can do it. So what you messed up, you can do it. And so that was my philosophy with them, man. And they got me to Teacher of the Year. You know, I, I lost Teacher of the Year for Dade County um, by maybe a couple of points, mm -hmm. you know. So anyways, I did that. And then I went. I moved over to Miami Northwestern, and I taught culinary arts there as well. And then my friend Lisa Joseph, uh, who's Dwayne's manager, she gave me a call. I used to do Lisa's hair years ago. As a matter of fact, I did a hair for a prom. So it was maybe like a seven-year span, seven, eight-year span between me doing her hair and now my position. And she gave me a call, and she said, hey, listen, uh, would you like to cook for an NBA player? And I said, uh, 
uh, I don't know, Lisa. You know, who is it? She said, uh, Dwayne Wade. Uh, he's a young guy. He just came in and blah, 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 blah. So I asked my students because I didn't follow basketball. I said, hey, um, <laughs> I said, hey, you guys know who Dwayne Wade is? <laughs> they were like, Ingram, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they started talking about him. And we looked him up and I called her back and I said, yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll try it out. What do you want me to do? And she said, well, listen. I want you to cook 10 different things so that he can have food after you leave. He said, but I, she said, but I want you to cook right there in the house so that he can see that this is you actually preparing the food. So I went in and I cooked and I brought all kinds of stuff in and I cooked. And, um, you know, after that, I would come in maybe uh, once, two or three weeks. And then it became, you know, it it got a little bit more uh, intense. And it got to the point where I had to, you know, make a decision if I wanted to take that leap of faith that I was talking to you about mm-hmm. or if I wanted to just stay here. I love the kids. I love being there. I had insurance. I had the security, everything. But my passion mm-hmm. was there doing it, you know. Unfortunately, I could only do so much teaching. I can only be as creative as my students' minds would let me be. But because they were so young, I couldn't introduce them to some things and I couldn't be creative. I felt a little stagnated creatively there. And God gave me this opportunity now to be as creative as I would ever want to be. And so I stepped out on faith and and here we are, you know, um, almost 20 years later. What allowed you to take that step? Because there's so many people who are they're comfortable, right? And mm-hmm. they're in a certain situation or circumstance where they have the insurance and they have the stability that they want, but then an opportunity comes up and they hold back. Mm-hmm. What allowed you to take that step? What encouraged you to take that step? My wife. I um, I talked to her and I said, hey, <laughs> I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it all here. I said, um, I said, but you know, if Dwayne calls, and I'm not able to go, somebody else is going to get the call. I can't allow anybody else to cook for him. Mm-hmm. I can't allow anybody else to cook for him. And she said, so what are you going to do? I said, I want to I said, I want to step out here, man. I said, I want to give this thing a try and see, you know, what do you think? She said, well, I have insurance. I could put you on my insurance with the kids. Um, you know, she said, why don't you try it? So listen. After that, every time he called, bro, I was there. And then I would, I would be there. He would leave and go someplace. I wouldn't move. I'd sit right there in the house. And just wait. And wait. There was no way he was coming back in there and be hungry and order something. <laughs> or or say, hey, well, chef ain't here. What about that other person that mm-hmm. we heard about? Boom. No, no, no. Never, bro. Never would I have allowed somebody else to come in there and cook? He could want to eat at 2 in the morning. Wasn't nothing to me. That's why when he would come home from the games, I was still there. I may be in the chair asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, he wound up taking a picture of me. But <laughs> listen, the only thing you do is hit me and say, Chef, I need this. I'm up. He don't have to tell me what he need. I already know. And listen, man, you know, and I say it all the time. To be successful, man, you have to make your shoes so big. That nobody could feel them. And that's what I did, you know, um, purposely. 
I moved with intention. Everything that I did, I moved with intention. You know, if it was something that I didn't think I wanted to do every single day, I didn't do it. But then when I felt comfortable enough to add this little quirk to my repertoire, and I said, because I knew when I did it, he was going to require it. You know what I mean? So I like what? Like give me g- give me an example. Um, and when I say require, I don't mean like he would say, "Chef, I want this done." But I knew if I didn't do it, he would notice it. Yeah, it's an expectation you know, now because expectation. You, you start raising the bar. You start raising the bar. Well, the house that he had in Miami. Um, I can look from the kitchen and look out into the driveway and see him come and pull up. So when he was playing, my job, I always felt that my job was to make it where he didn't have to worry about anything at all except playing basketball. That's it, right? So um, he would pull in facing me and get out the car and come into the house. So what I started doing was taking the car keys, one, because some of these cars I had never driven before in my life. So I wanted to get in there and I wanted to drive. <laughs> okay, just to tell the truth. Second reason was because I would take the car and turn it around and not back it in. So on his way to the game, excuse me, on his way to the game, that's one less thing that he has to worry about is backing out and then going. Now he just can get in the car and go and go forward. And I've always felt that it's the little things that make that make it. You know what I mean? And I knew that it became a thing that he expected. How did I know? He never said a word, but he would put his keys in a different place. As soon as he come in, boom, keys would go in this little area. Mm-hmm. And because he wanted me to know where the keys were. Mm-hmm. And I would go, and when he was getting ready to get out of there, I turned him, you know, he was able to get out of the car. So it was the little little tangible things like that that uh, that I did um, during my time. Well, and I still do, you know, small things like that. But um, I've, I've always said to myself, man, I'm always going to try to be the best that I could possibly be. And I continue to do that um, and try to find different things. And we were talking earlier about my sleep pattern and me not sleeping much. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm always thinking um, about what I can do for him, what I can do for Gabrielle um, so that she can have a great experience um, by my hands as well. I think about Kavia. I think about AD. I think about who's the, the nanny. I think about Tracy. I think about Chantel, the office manager, and what it is when I go back to L.A., what it is they want to eat so I can see that smile. You know, that's one reason that I got into doing hair was because it's the instant gratification that you get. I can see this lady smile. She came in here a certain way, and, man, I put this magic on her, you know, and now in the mirror she's smiling. These people come in, and they sit down at this counter, and I'm entertaining them. I'm cooking. I'm talking. We're having a great time. But out of all of that, I'm putting this plate in front of you, and now I'm blessed with it because now I can see you smiling. I can hear you talking about how great it is, you know. And sometimes I can hear you say to me, this ain't it, Richard. This ain't it. You missed the mark. You missed it on this one. <laughs> but I love that too because that shows me that I got some genuine people around me. Absolutely. That love me, that want me to be great, you know what I mean, because they see the greatness in me. So they want to, they want to pour that into me. They feel like they're helping me. Of course. You know. 
and and they truly are. So man, it's a it's a blessing. It's a blessing to to be doing what I do. You know. I so as I would read that you were Dwayne Wade's chef, I didn't. I saw you like yeah as a chef, somebody who would just prepare food and then kind of disappear into the background. <laughs> yeah. But now, just listening to you talk, you are an extension of that family. Yeah, man. So for the past twenty years, you have become part of the family. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's something that uh, doesn't really happen like that. Um, either the player moves, uh, and the chef loses their job. Uh, something may happen. Chef loses their job. Uh, chef may find another player or another job that's better or paying them better, and then they wind up leaving. So for different reasons, there's not a lot of longevity like this uh, in uh, in cooking for um, someone of Dwayne and Gabrielle's caliber. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, my whole thing was I I wasn't going to let anybody do it. You know when when they moved to um, when they moved to Chicago, um, I said. Uh, we're going. I got the call. I told my wife, I said, let's see what kind of school systems they have there. I'm going, you know, move my whole family, rip my kids out of school, everything, you know. How old are your kids? Um, now uh, my daughter, Nandi, is 30 uh, with my four-year-old grandbaby, Zoe. My son, Kwame, is, I think, 27. Um, <laughs> Don't mess this up. In the Navy, I know. <laughs> Screw it right up. And then uh, my son, RJ, is... Uh, he just turned 17, and uh, my son, Evan, just turned 16. Okay. Yeah. So I ripped them off. Well, uh, Nandi and Kwame had graduated from high school, and they were doing that thing when we moved to Chicago. But I ripped RJ and Evan and Stacy right up out of there. Mm. And we went on to Chicago uh, because, again, I refused to let anybody cook you know, for him. Um, and then he went to Cleveland. So my family moved back to Miami. I went to Cleveland. Dwayne and I stayed together uh, <laughs> in this house. And, uh, man, snowed in. Wasn't nothing to do. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Just eat, play basketball, tell jokes. That's all we did, you know? And then um, moved back to Miami. But then the move to L.A. Uh, was one where uh, I said, hey, Listen, because you, you're talking about across the country now. Mm -hmm. And I went in and I said, hey, you know, to him and Gabby, I said, you know, you you might find somebody out there that can, you know, cook for you. Because to be honest with you, I didn't know if I was going to go or not, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I'd been with him all these years and he had retired now. And but I wasn't too prideful to basically say, hey, I still need my job, mm -hmm. you know. But I said to him, I said, listen, you may find somebody out there that can cook, man. I said, but you're not going to find somebody that's going to take care of y'all. Mm -hmm. Like me, you know. And they were like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, nobody's trying to get rid of you, man. Uh -huh. I said, yeah. I said, but, you know, every day, I think it could be my last day. I yeah. promise you, every day, I treat it as though if I screw this up, I'm going to get fired, mm -hmm. even at this stage of the game. I go in there right now. If Gabby says she don't like something, I'm like, fuck, I'm about to get fired. <laughs> you still have that worry. Yeah. Bro, I watch them. Every time I cook something, I watch them. I watch them eat it. 
I watch if they push these peppers over to the side. I watch everything. And, you know, and I know what to do. You know, if I see something, I watch everything that everybody's eating at all times. You know, but that's that's how I got to be here, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You're a man of great detail then. <laughs> so, uh, so they're living over there. Are you still, so are you traveling to Los Angeles or how is that working for you? Yeah, I moved, um, I moved to Georgia. And um, what we did is we hired um, Chef Kevin Pratt um, out of the Bahamas. So Chef Kevin works, and then I fly in to relieve him. And how often are you going? Uh, maybe once a month, but when I go, I'm there for about a week, week and a half. And um, But then this this time that, that Dwayne and Gav has blessed me with, I've used it now to, you know, come and I'm able to do this. Um, I'm able to work with different brands like, uh, you know, uh, like Ciroc and things like that. Uh, it allowed me time to be able to write this book, you know. So, um, you know, I'm so grateful for that, you know, so grateful for that, man, because they see enough in me to say, hey, listen, we still want you around. We want you here, but you got to go. You got to grow. You know, we're going to hold a string on you. Yeah. But we, we still want you to soar, you know. So um, it, I would be remiss if I had this time and did nothing but sit around and, and waste it, you know. So I'm trying to be as as active as possible and just to continue to grow my brand and continue to grow um, personally, you know, as well with this time. So I don't know if you're aware yeah. of this, but uh, my friend Mojo was on this podcast a year ago. Mojo. I know Mojo. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I realized that. I was like, oh, wait, Mojo did a... He did the mural. He did a mural of, of Chef Richard Ingram yeah, over in Wynwood. Yes, sir. So I thought it was pretty cool that there was Mr. a connection Rock. there. It was yeah. for, oh, it was for Ciroc? Let me tell you the story. Oh, let's hear it. Check this out. So we get a call from Ciroc years ago. And Puffy is known for these, these wonderful New Year's Eve parties that he does, right? Over on Star Island, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So we were commissioned with this new flavor, uh, the Amaretto is what they came out with. So it's just letting you know how far back it was. They wanted me to create cocktails and um, food pairings to go with the cocktails. So I did that and they said, okay, what we want you to do is to come over and we want you to curate this menu for the New Year's Eve party. So I said, all right, cool. You know, we're cooking just for the VIPs is what I thought, right? So I go in, like, oh, I'm talking sweet potato waffles, and I'm doing this, that, and the other. And, of course, I'm doing it from scratch. So I come in, and I talk to the young lady, the house manager. And I said, yeah, I think we're going to need about 20 pounds of sweet potatoes, and we're going to need this, and we're going to need that. And she said, no, chef, you know, um, you're not going to be able to, you know, cook, you know, all of that. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, it's going to be about you know, 2,000 or so people here. I said, wait a minute. We're not cooking for everybody. She said, no, you made a mistake. Yeah, you are, you know, but we still want this specific dish for the VIPs or whatever. Bro, we wind up cooking for everybody at the party. Me and a, uh, another chef of mine, Chef Terrence Williams, and, man, we had to cook for everybody, man. We had to create a whole kitchen in the back, the whole nine yards, mm-hmm. right? And... um I was not happy about it, you know, and man, we're cooking, we're cooking, we're cooking, and we get everybody fed. Then we go in 
and uh, I'm cooking on the stove in Puffy's home. He has a commercial kitchen. He has to have like 18, 20 eyes burners. Oof. You know, a hood and he got a pizza oven. He got, oh, and then you turn around, it's like a real restaurant lying on there, right? So I'm in there cooking, man, making these grits and the shrimp and so forth and so on. Then we finish, and I'm not in the great greatest moods because I've had to do all this cooking that I wasn't expecting to have mm-hmm. to do, right? But I remained professional, and we were done, and uh, Puffy came up, and we were supposed to take a picture. We took a picture together, you know, and then I graciously left, right? And I went back to Dwayne's mm-hmm. after that. Now, some people might have bitched and moaned about it, right? I said nothing about it. Has to be seven years later, Ciroc hits me up and said, listen, we want to do a mural of you on the side of, uh, on this wall in Wynwood, mm-hmm. you know, um, black leaders in Miami. Right, influential black leaders in Miami. Mind you, you never get your face painted on the wall until you're dead. <laughs> right? Or you won a championship. What Something. Is it? Yeah. Bro, they painted me in my hometown. The picture that you see is of me cooking in Puffy's home that night. Wow. So you're looking in that at it. kitchen. Wow. So what what did you think when you when you I couldn't got, believe it? Because you didn't know what picture it was that they didn't were painting. Know. What they sent, they sent Mojo sent over a mock up, mm-hmm. right? Two images. One was with my face real big, you know, which I thought was cool. Uh, <laughs> but then they did the other one. And I was like, oh, that's me in action. Yeah. I like that one better. Mm-hmm. They did it. As soon as I saw it, I knew exactly what it was. I knew the night, I knew everything. I knew how mad I was that I had to cook all that extra food. But I also knew how I kept my composure. Had I acted a complete ass, I wouldn't have been on that wall. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing, man, how these little things, you just don't know how things are going to affect your life later, you know, when you do stuff. So, yeah, man, shout out to, uh, you know, Sean Combs and uh, the whole Ciroc family. You know, I appreciate them. And shout out to my boy Mojo as well. Yeah, Mojo's a, definitely a good guy. He was actually telling me he was going to come back on here because he had gone away to France for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was in Lacoste, France. And he's for a while. amazing. He's amazing. Not just an amazing artist, an amazing human. So definitely. definitely. Mm-hmm. So it's just crazy to hear these these stories because I feel that, like for instance, what you just said. Why why do you think that's so important when we're going through these? Because you're right. Most people will bitch and moan and complain when they're going through something like that. Mm-hmm. Why is that so important? What's the lesson in there? Yeah, okay, you, you're in the side of a, uh, on a wall in Wynwood. So mm-hmm. what's the lesson in that in terms of, I guess, in sucking it up and just moving forward without all the complaining? Well, for one, you're already there. So the energy that you're putting into complaining, you could be putting that energy into making sure that this is, is better than what people expected it to be. And that's what we did, you know. Um, we back there, me and Terrence back there frying that chicken, you know, flour getting all over us, man. We we had on a pretty chef coat, you know, and because I didn't expect to have to work that hard, man. Flour everywhere, you know. Once it got on me, it's almost like in the rain, you know. You're trying to run from the rain, but after a while, you're like, shit, I'm already wet, 
let me slow down. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. Flour already on me. Now I'm dirty. I'm getting ready to cook. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting ready to, I'm going to kill them in here now. And now I turned it into that. The anger turned into, so this is what y'all want to do? Y'all really want to do this? <laughs> now I'm going to rip your mouth out, for real. Yeah. Now I'm getting ready to really cook in here because you done pissed me off. And I did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And people were like, Jesus, this is some good food, man. You know? And, and doing that, I felt great. And that's what I've learned to do. Um, there are times always, man, in the middle of an event, something happens. I may let off a little bit of steam, but then I get pissed off and I'm like, wow, really? Okay. Now I'm, I'm getting ready to kill everybody in there now. And I'm, I'm cooking, you know? So sometimes I kind of welcome uh, a little bit of adversity mm-hmm. so that I can get that little, that thing out of there, you know, and turn on that extra whatever it is or that that uh, alter ego kind of comes out, you know, and I'm able to do what I need to do. But yeah. I try to turn it into a positive situation. I think that's important for people to hear because I, I feel that a lot of people are carrying on a lot of emotions mm-hmm. and they use it to be destructive instead of being constructive. Mm-hmm. And why not use that fuel and that energy, even if it's negative energy, mm-hmm. but turn it into something good? Most definitely. And then I guess the question is how? Right for different people, you do it in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and then how do we get people to do that just in life as a whole? Um, that's, the, <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think every individual has to look at themselves and say, "But what? you know what? Again, it goes mm-hmm. into giving an example, mm-hmm. telling stories of where you yourself has done it or had to do it." Because in being in certain positions, people look at you like you're infallible. You, you know, you can do no wrong. You don't have any problems. But when you can say, hey, listen, let me tell you something. This is what happened to me when I did this, you know. This is what happened to me when I was getting ready to cook for, you know, 50 people and the guy walked out on me. I had to go to someplace dark Mm -hmm. to get this job done. And you know what? Got it done. And it was amazing. What? You had to go through that? Man, chef. Yeah, I had to go through this too. But what did you do? What are you going to do next time? Mm -hmm. Now, again, if you don't know better, you can't do better. So some people don't even know that you can do that. Some people don't even know that that's a thing Mm -hmm. to turn a negative situation into a positive just strictly by the way that you handle it in your brain. Yeah. You know, some people don't know. Well, doesn't that go back to, and I've talked about this before, but the school system itself teaches us that failure is like you're done like you get an f and you're out versus like hey you you screwed up but what did you learn from it using Mm -hmm. that as an opportunity to move forward because that's Mm -hmm. what life is Mm -hmm. i was telling you earlier that i got let go of from the university of miami as a professor Mm -hmm. um and there's two ways to turn that i could be angry and bitter or i could turn and, and try to say okay where do i pivot and how do i move forward which you were for a split second. I was. No, I was. Absolutely. And that's human. Yeah. Let's let's put that out there. Absolutely. It is 100% human to be pissed off. Yeah. That's great. But, okay, you pissed off for two seconds. Now what? What you going to do next? Exactly. That's where you got to, that's where it goes from. How long are you going to stay pissed off? Mm-hmm. How long are you going to wallow into in this foolishness? Yeah. Be pissed off and, and say, you know what? Now I got to show somebody something. You know Isn't what that I mean? what you were teaching those kids in the kitchen? Oh, most definitely. Because a lot of those kids had probably been told, no, you can't do this. Oh, Always. you're not allowed to do this. Oh, you're a failure. Oh, you're nothing. But then here comes 
Ingram. That's what they called you, Ingram, Ingram. right? Here mm-hmm. comes Ingram giving me autonomy, giving me independence, allowing me an opportunity to fail or succeed. And either way, it's okay because yeah. I'm learning as I go. Most definitely. Most definitely. And talking to him. Not talking at him. Yeah. Talking to him. Listen, man. You know, and and I'm a rough, I'm a rough cat, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, man, put the put the so-and-so knife down. Yeah. What are you doing over <laughs> there, man? Are you kidding right yeah. now? Didn't I tell you not to put a teaspoon? I said put a table. Mr. Ingram, okay. Mm-hmm. But they know that it's coming from a great place. Mm-hmm. Man, I I never forget I went out of town one day and my kids had a substitute. And they called me on the phone. And they said, hey, we can't really get this man out of here. Because he's talking to us any old kind of way. I said, well, I'll talk to you any old kind of way. But it's you, man. You could do that. Mm-hmm. Kids know the difference. Kids know the difference when you love them and when you're just there. And I tell teachers this when I speak. They know. They can feel it. They can feel when you, when you genuinely care about them or if you're just there for this paycheck, mm. you know. And, uh, and if you're there to make a whole bunch of money as a, as a teacher anyways, you're in the wrong profession. So you got to be there because you love them, you know. And I say that all the time. Teachers are the most underpaid people on the face of the earth. With the most responsibility. With the most responsibility, man. The president of the United States was taught by somebody, by a teacher. Mm-hmm. Everybody has been taught by teachers. Everybody. Every CEO has had a teacher, elementary school teacher, kindergarten middle school, high school, some college, some maybe not. But everybody's been touched by a teacher, by an educator. Had a Jamaican teacher uh, for geometry, I believe it was ninth or 10th grade, Mr. Henry Bruce. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Mr. Bruce if you ever hear this. And I remember he saw me sitting on the corner with all the hoodlums, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he told me, he said, he, I remember he drove by, he slowed down, he looked at me. And he just pointed, mm-hmm. drove by. The next day in class, he said, what, what are you doing sitting on that corner? Mm-hmm. Just hanging out with my friends. He said, well, how are your grades? All right, all right. He's like, my expectations of you in my class are higher now. And I was like, well, number one, why are you singling me out? Yeah. But just that, him singling me out, put this sense of, oh, somebody <laughs> is, is watching They're me. watching me. They're yes. holding me accountable. And they don't, you know, and this is a stranger. Like, why does he care? That's right. Who is this guy? Mm-hmm. It's a Jamaican guy. He, has, he don't look like me. He don't talk like me. But then he's showing me love. Mm-hmm. Right? What's and, up his sleeve? Yeah, what, what's this about? Yeah. And guess what? I just started doing better in this class. And I yeah. cared a lot more. Yeah. And I then I started to watch him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this guy cares about all these students. He really, really cares about these students. And Mr. Bruce was a big reason I turned it up in high school because I was doing nothing. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, who Actually, who were some of your mentors growing up or even mentors that you look up to now? Uh, Mr. Darrell, okay, uh, our jeweler. Of course, my, my father, uh, Abraham Salary, who is uh, deceased now, and he was he was actually my, my stepfather. But I... Uh, I just use that now to differentiate between my biological and my and Abraham. Uh, great, I say that Abraham was put in my life not for me. He was put in my life for my children. 
because my wife, Stacy, had two children, Nandi and Kwame, when we uh, first got together. And through the way my father, Abraham, uh, raised me as a stepchild, that's the way I tried to raise my children. They were not my stepchildren, they were my children, and so forth and so on. So, Abraham, uh, Mr. Kenneth Talbert, my band director in high school, um, hands down one of the biggest influences in my life. Uh, same as you, Mr. Talbert was one that didn't play, period, at all. He was a huge guy, uh, demanded respect, but, um, you know, he would say, Ingram, Richard, come here. Um, yeah, I, I see I see that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, son. I see what you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, son. So what are you going to be? What are you going to be? Am I going to ride down 22nd Avenue and see you out there on the streets? Mm. Is that what that's, is that? No, sir. Oh, man, when he would talk to you, bro, you, man, you just melt under the, under the chair because he'd give it to you and expected nothing but greatness and would, would burn you up if you messed up. But it just kept driving you and driving you. That drove me to when I went to Florida A&M. And Florida A&M, when I was in that band, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a person, but the organization itself, a great inspiration to me. Mm -hmm. um, we had this thing called pre-drill, where all the freshmen would come in, and it was two weeks of holy hell. You didn't know when you were waking up. You didn't know when you was going to sleep. You were only able to wear white. You wore white shorts and you wore a white um, shirt. You barely had time to take a bath because you were practicing on that band field all day, all night. Then you had sectionals. Then you had to shine the horns and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. You wake up, you had one person that had a watch on out of your group. You called them TikTok. That's the only way that you knew what time it was. Other than that, you didn't know what day it was, bro. Every day I would go out there and I said, that's it, I'm quitting. But then I would hear that music playing. I'm like, oh, I can't go. Mm -hmm. i never forget, um, we had two games before we went over, but before we really became band members. It was the Bethune-Cookman and Florida a &M game in mm -hmm. Tampa. That's when you went over into the band. Maybe about three, four games before that. Something happened and band member quit. We weren't in the same section, but we were, uh, when we marched, we were close by each other, so okay. I would see him. He quit, right? And we had to go and play a game, I think, the next weekend. The same person, they used to put a yellow tape between us and the crowd, so the crowd wouldn't come over into the band. This guy was sitting right there across the other side of the tape, and I could see his face. I could see the disappointment in his face. I could see, my God, how did I make this mistake? Mm -hmm. But had he just stayed three more games, he would have won. He'd have been there with us. Mm -hmm. I think about that all the time when I'm getting ready to quit, when I'm getting ready to stop. I think about my man's face, and it inspires me to keep going. So I would say, um, Mr. Darrell, my father Abraham, um, Mr. Talbert, and then the organization um, of Florida A&M University's March of 100 are the biggest influences of my life thus far. And so I know that you, you put up a post recently where you were saying how important it is to have male relationships. Yes. So who 
who are those men and how important to you is it to have other men around you to help keep you sharp? Uh, it's very important. It's very important to have the right men around you. Um, I have uh, Jermaine Fleming, a uh, very good friend of mine. He's a uh, educator in Broward County. Um, uh, Ola Tunji Williams is another gentleman uh, that I went to high school with. We talk often. Uh, of course, Dwayne, mm -hmm. uh, then my brother Chris, and, um, and then there's uh, Andre King. Um, Dwayne, myself, and Andre are the closest, but then Chris is put into the mix, and then you have other folks as well that come in and out, and then I have I have Bob Metellus that I was just telling you about too. But we, the great thing about my relationships with these guys, uh, and they're separate groups, mm -hmm. is I go to these people for a certain thing, and they come to me for a certain thing. My relationship with Dwayne and Dre and Chris uh, are different with each and every person. I discuss things with each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the, the main thing is we're honest with each other. Mm. We're honest with each other. If there's something wrong, we, we tell you. Excuse me. And we find no weakness in telling each other that we love each other. Mm. We find no weakness and sending each other these these Instagram posts of inspiration. Um, and we we praise each other when we're doing well as well. Mm. And I think that that's very, very important. When you surround yourself with, with, and I've gone through this, we all have, where the only thing you're talking about is, you know, you're talking about women mm -hmm. all day long, um, who went to this strip club and who did this, who did that. After a while, you have to be able to evolve and your friends have to evolve with you or maybe not. Mm. But you have to continue to move forward. You have to continue to look for something new. And when you have a great group of people who are constantly looking for something new and when they get it, they give it to you. Mm. Not just get it and hold on. And that's what so many of us do. We get it and we hold on to it. But man, it's beautiful when somebody says, man, I was reading this book. Boom. Hit. Not go get it, but here it is. Now you have no choice. You have no option. Because I love you enough to let you know I'm moving. And I want you to move with me. Now, if you take this book and you don't read it, or if you don't get the knowledge that you need to have to do better with your life, I'm still going. I'm still going. So it's a constant race. And it doesn't matter that Dwayne has the amount of money he has or that that uh, Dre has the amount of money. Money has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. It's your spirit. It's, it's you evolving with that group. So it's so powerful to be able to evolve with a group of brothers of various ages. Dre is the oldest. He about to be 60. Mm -hmm. I'm 53. Dwayne is the age he is. Chris is another age. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not a thing of just a group of old guys getting together or young guys. It's all of us, man. And we're learning as we go. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Why do you think men, and this is obviously just your opinion, but 
why do you think men struggle to have these relationships? Because I feel like so many men, and this is a common theme, is that men that are around middle age, I'm 40, I'm about to be 40. Mm-hmm. Men somewhere between 40 and 60 tend to be, they have the highest rates of isolation and loneliness. Loneliness leads to depression. Um, and then women tend to hold on to these social groups and have strong ties throughout their lives. Why do you feel that us as men, we struggle to maintain these relationships? I think, I think one, because we haven't accomplished what we feel that we should have accomplished already at this specific, at this particular point in time in our lives. And in being a man, it has been looked, it has been frowned upon to ask for help, to help get to another place or to help get you out of a rut. Um, it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. You're not a man if you don't know how to dig yourself out of your own hole, how to get yourself out of this trouble. You don't want to let somebody know that your finances are not what they need to be, and I need some help with that. I've struggled with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, personally. And, again, it's a sign of weakness because you look at me a certain way. And if I tell you, man, bro, my bank account is low mm-hmm. you're looking at me like what well, <laughs> <laughs> what you mean yeah. you know what are you doing mm. instead of yeah how me, can i help, help you? you how can i help you that's the first thing yeah. you know you know so you don't want to hear that what you mean what you're talking about mm-hmm. just help me man i don't need no yeah. you know i need to go through that so you're afraid of that you know then another thing is of course the people that are in your group they have started to ascend they started to do things and you still are not there either mentally or whatever else. And you start to feel a certain way about yourself. You know, it's all self-induced. And again, it sounds so great to be able to say, you got to dig yourself out the hole and you got to, you know, yeah, that's easy to say, man, but it's, it's very difficult, especially when you have isolated yourself because then you have only yourself to deal with, you know, there's no one telling you that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? So I think that that's uh, some of the reasons why uh, we tend to be a little bit more isolated the older we get. Um, it's because I don't think that we have really uh, reached the potential that we really thought that we should at this particular point. In but time. what does that even mean, right? What does that even mean? Because I don't, I don't know what potential I should have or shouldn't have. Like, you know, but you know what it comes from? Comparing yourself to other people. I think that's a definitely. That's the main thing. That's an epidemic, yeah. And that's social media. Mm. You know, uh, I, I myself have looked at other chefs and been like, dang. Shout out to JR, who's doing amazing things uh, with Kitchen Cray. And uh, Chef Tobias as, as well. I've looked at these guys. Never said it before in my life. Hmm. I've looked at these guys, and I looked at others like them, like Chef JJ, and said, God damn, man, these cats opening restaurants. <laughs> oh, man, he on this TV show. Mm-hmm. Oh, they got this going on, you know? And, uh, and I sit back, and I'm like, huh, what are you doing with yourself? Mm-hmm. You know? And you sit back, and you soak. And, but then you got to think about, what have I accomplished? What am I doing? I'm doing this. You know, I'm doing that. You have to, and it's only human to do that. You know what I mean? And again, back to the whole puffy thing, I take that and I let it drive me. 
you know, sometimes I look at that stuff on purpose, other chef stuff, and get jealous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get hot. Like, damn, he created that? I got to go in this kitchen and I got to get down, yeah. you know? And I never, ever put that I'm challenging somebody, but I'm always challenging somebody. You understand? And it makes me go. It makes me go. Again, I always turn it around, but it's totally human to get to feel a certain way sometimes when you um, when you compare yourself. So what I've learned to do is not to do it. You know. But you just said that you no, use that to fuel you. But I but I was let me let me finish. I've learned not to do it, right? But I turn it on when I need to. When I feel that, okay, man, look like you sitting on this couch quite a bit. You're not doing nothing. All right, let me see what's happening with blah, 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 and I look. And there's my boy doing something. There's this chef doing something. This person's talking about they got the best food in this city and whatever. And I look at them like, man, okay, let me let me figure something out in here. I gotta do something. And I cook something and I take a picture of it, you know, or I write as I have been, write a, a, a recipe in my book or start my book, you know, and, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, these people are doing this. Wait till this book come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so you're using it, again, it goes back to you using this, you're taking these things that some people would use and, and like either belittle themselves or make them feel less than, mm -hmm. but you're using that for fuel and for inspiration mm -hmm. to help propel you forward. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a self comparison. Like again, like self sabotage. It's more like let me. I feel like I'm not doing enough right now. Let me look through some of these pages and say, oh wow, look what these guys are doing. Yeah, I need to step my game up. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Let me, let me step it up. Let me do something. Let me do something with myself. You know, and it's, it may not even be seen right now. You know. It may not even be seen right now, but let me let me do something out here, you know. And then sometimes I take a picture of I cook something and take a picture of it and won't even post it. It's for me to know that I got in this kitchen and I cook something. My wife and my kids come home and they'll eat it and they say, Dad, this is amazing. My wife said, Oh, baby, this is so good. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's it for me. You know, it might have been that time where I I didn't want to cook. And then I look through something and I see some crab on something. I'm like, what the, oh, that's what y'all doing? Okay, I'm going to the grocery store and get some crab or I'm going to the store and getting some some steak or whatever it is that I get and I make something and 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 it's for my family, you know? So it doesn't necessarily have to be for somebody else to see. It could be just for me to get up and move and to get in and back into practice and start doing some things, start creating, you know? So How, how important is it for you to, be driven, I guess, not by emotions, but just by what you need, you know, that you need to do. In other words, a lot of times I don't, I'm not motivated and I don't feel like it, but I know I still got to do it because it's good for me, whether it's working out, whether it's um, coming here to the office and putting in time and really thinking through what needs to get done. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you get past the emotions of, I don't feel like it and still do it? goes back to me not wanting anybody else to cook for Dwayne. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. I don't want to do it sometimes, but I ain't going to let nobody else do it. 
you know. Um, as far as like right now, if I decide that no, I don't want to do something, um, somebody else will do it. And I'm not gonna allow that to happen. Or if I don't want to work out, somebody else is and somebody whose body I may look at and say, damn, you got a good physique. That's the physique I want. That person that I looked at, they up in the gym. Let me go do it. That person is not eating fried chicken tonight, so I guess I won't eat it, you know, or this ice cream or whatever. Um, so that's, that's what happens. You know, I, I think about other people who are successful and how they became successful, and I know it wasn't doing what the hell I was doing just now. It's putting in the work, you know. And I know for a fact what work does in any facet is success. You can't get anything but success from working hard. Nothing from it but success. When you lay down, you get laid down results. And I'm I'm not accustomed to that, you know. Even though I get lazy sometimes, but I, I often talk to myself, you know. Um, one of the advantages of being a, a only child is that you only got yourself. You know, there's a lot of disadvantages, you know, no brothers or sisters, but one of the biggest advantages, only person I could depend on is me. I've had to do it all my life. So I am my biggest motivator. You know, when I'm when I'm feeling down, I'm my biggest critic. But when it's time to really get up and start doing what I need to do, I'm my biggest motivator. You know, and I and I and I use that to my advantage. What percentage of, or not what percentage? This might be a trick question, but do you think that you've gotten to where you are as a result of luck, or do you feel that you've earned it? I was ready when the luck came. I was I, ready when the luck came. When Lisa called me, I was ready. You know, yeah. When she called me, I was ready. And, and even more than that, it goes back to you foster your own future. Had I been a complete and utter jackass to Lisa when I was doing her hair mm -hmm. back then, she would have never called me. She would have never even thought she of never you. never thought of me. Mm -hmm. Another great friend of ours, Carmen, told her, said, hey, Richard's a chef now. He undo hair. Give him a call. Same thing with Carmen who I grew up with. Had I been a complete and utter jack with her, she would have never mentioned me to Lisa. And Lisa would have never called me. And I wouldn't be talking about being Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union's personal chef for 20 years plus now. Mm. And that's how it is. You foster your own future. That's why I said earlier, you have to watch what you say. You got to watch the steps that you take. Not going to all be the best words, not going to all be the best steps. But let's try to make at least 90% of them the best words and the best steps. You know, we all mess up. But, um, yeah, I think that is luck. But I was ready when the luck came. Because some people get lucky and they're not prepared. And then it doesn't happen for them, you know. I've always said I just need a door. Somebody just open the door for me. I don't need you to hold my hand. I don't need you to introduce me when we get in there. I do my own. I take care of myself. And when that door was open, which was the luck, I was ready, you know, and I was ready and I was willing to do whatever it took to 
be the best that I could possibly be. And, you know, I talk about this as well. Um, I paid the price um, to be successful. Um, I wasn't around for my kids like I wish that I had been around for my kids. My wife had to deal with a lot moving and shaking and stuff like that. And now I'm on the back end of now I'm repairing my relationship with my children, you know, and I'm, I'm so blessed that they're receptive, you know. Of course. And they see, you know, I used to have them in there washing dishes, man, and they knew when daddy had an event, it was like, Jesus. <laughs> it's time to work. It's time to work to yeah. wash these dishes. But they did it, and they know, and they see. But that's, that was, uh, that's a byproduct of my success is my family. And um, a lot not, of people don't see that. Yeah, I'm sorry man. to interrupt you, but a lot of people don't see the sacrifice. Yeah, man. They see the book. They see that you're with Dwayne Wade. They see you might be at a game. They see, mm-hmm. you know, who who's you know, you're on a mural, mm-hmm. but they don't see the sacrifice. Yeah, man. they don't see. I asked you when we spoke over the phone, and today also. Since what time have you been up? Three thirty. Three thirty. Yeah. Three thirty a.m. How often are you up at three thirty, Chef? Almost every day. Almost every day. How many people do you think want to wake up at 3.30 to prepare themselves to then prepare meals for other people and to to serve? Yeah. To serve. Yeah. Yeah. And to be, no matter what you're going through, to be on, you know, um, not many. You know, so many say they want to do it. But when you get in there, man, it's a, it's a different show. You know, it's, it's a different show. And, um, you know, like I said, man, my family has really, they've, uh, they've been by me and they've listened and they've watched and they've, you know, seen me do the things that I do, miss birthdays and all of that kind of stuff, you know. And, and then you get to a point where you say, hey, you know, I'm, at least I'm providing. Mm-hmm. At least I'm providing the money to do that. But then when you get older, you're like, but you weren't there. So it's something that you miss. And your children miss you missing that, uh, those moments. Your wife miss you missing those special moments. So now I'm, I'm, I'm doing better. You know, I'm trying my best when I'm home. I'm there. If they, and, you know, and they're at the age now where it's like, hey, Dad, give me a kiss, and they upstairs. Yeah. But you know what? If they ever need me, I'm downstairs. The joy that I get, my son RJ right now is working, right? Got his job. On his own, he's working at this chicken place. <laughs> and he went and got the job on his own. And the joy that I get going to get my son from work. Because we don't talk a whole lot, but the stories he tells me about his day at work, it, it, I'm thrilled mm. because he's talking to me. I can, I'm listening to his language. Mm. You know, I, I can hear how he talks and I, I hear his voice and how it the pitches go up when he's saying certain things and it makes it so funny. The storytelling, I love to hear it, but that's my only time. And he wasn't doing so well in school. And my wife said, we gotta, we're going to take that job away from him. And I was like, no, nah, we can't take the job. You know, he needs to, needs to, you know, continue to work and whatever. That's a bunch of bull crap. Mm. I didn't want the job to go because that's my only time that I have with him where he talks to me. Mm. Me only. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When he get home, it's a wrap. He ain't got nothing else to say to me, you know? So I, I relish that. 
you know. Um, and then my son Evan, the same thing. You know, he's not working, but I, I love the times where I can hear them talking. They they saying something to the father and stuff, you know. Um, but that's the price that I had to pay um, to be great in my field is unfortunately was my family, you know. And now I'm I, every day I'm you know I'm, I'm trying to make it up. I'm trying to do better. I hit them with a little text of I love you and. Uh, you know, call my son Kwame, you know, or call Nandi and try to talk to Zoe and, you know, all of these different types of things, you know, but people don't understand, man, what you have to go through, you know, what your body goes through. Um, being sick, still working, you know. Uh, I've done so much, man, you know. Um, shit. One morning I was in a car accident, cough almost flipped over on my way to work, drive my daughter's car. And got out of the accident, and uh, they said, you want to go to the hospital? I said, I, you know, I'm not hurt, I guess, so, you know. Go to the hospital. My wife finds out. <laughs> and I was supposed to be doing a presentation that morning. I called my business partner, Soleil, and I said, hey, I've been in the car accident. She said, okay, well, I'm going to scratch the thing. I was like, well, let me let you know. You know, she was like, no, Richard, we're scratching it. Listen, I had my wife to take me to do the presentation. I did the presentation. I'd already told Dwayne that I was going to be late because I was doing this. And uh, then we got a rental car, drove the rental car to work. When Dwayne came in the house, I was in there cooking. Had no idea. No idea until I told him. He was like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, listen, again. What am I going to do? Sit in this hospital? I know that I'm not hurt just to say, oh, I got a day off? Mm. No, because then what happens? You hungry. And this chef may come in just for a day and blow your socks off. And you may say, yeah, chef chicken don't really taste like this. <laughs> Maybe we need to try him a couple of days and, and get chef a couple of days to rest. Next thing you know, man, you lost your job. Mm. It happens that quickly. You know, is this and, a, is this so is this a paranoia of Chef Richard or is this across the board with all chefs? I don't know about other people. <laughs> <laughs> I know about me, you know, and that's what that that is what has kept me uh, on my toes. I And again, it's my it's it's my own way of continuing to make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do at all times. Dwayne doesn't have cameras in this kitchen but I pretend that he does. What does that do? It helps me to make sure, and I know to wash my hands all the time, but I make sure I wash my hands all the time. Make sure you're doing the right thing doing no matter what. Wash my hands all the time, make sure that I'm putting this back, making sure I'm cleaning these cabinets off. It keeps me on my toes because I pretend that there are cameras in the kitchen watching me at all times because I heard a story a long time ago where there was a chef who um, was supposed to cook fresh green beans for the client, and they cooked canned green beans for the client. And what happened was the um, client saw the can in the garbage pan, in the garbage pail, and that's how they knew that they wasn't eating fresh green beans. I've always remembered that. I was like, clients could be watching me. They could, I don't care who it is. They could be watching me. They could see if I take these pineapple out, put a little bit in a bowl, and eat them, or if I stick my fork 
inside the pineapple in the refrigerator, eat one, put the cover back on, and close the refrigerator. <laughs> That's how easy that is. Nobody will never know. You pull one out with your finger, plop it in, put the cap on, whatever. People have done it. Or do you scoop it out and have it right here? It, I think it might have been maybe five, six years ago, I started eating right in front of Dwayne, or like if they're over there eating, I may have a little bowl or something. So it took almost 15 hand. years. Bro, I would go in the back until one day he was like, so you don't think I know that you're eating? <laughs> <laughs> so, Chef, you don't think that I've seen you eat before? And I was like, yeah, man, but you know, he's like, man, cut it out. You know, so now, I've, you know. I would have been like, yo, Dwayne, it took you 15 years to tell me this? It took you 15? You could have told me this after one yeah, year. Man, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's awesome. just, that's my own paranoia to keep myself in line. Because think about it. I don't have a boss there. Yeah. It's like that old saying, do what's right even if no one's watching. Even if no one's watching, man, you know? Even if no one's watching. Dwayne depends more on... He's de have depended more on me for guidance as far as sh chef things than I have required on him as far as client things and him telling me stuff. I've had to step up and learn and learn him, learn how to communicate. Same with my other clients, learn how to communicate and, and watch them, you know, and then they in turn watch and see what they deserve, you know, uh, from a chef. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, it's 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 a constant thing of me teaching myself, you know, 